If you would, turn in the Bible to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. We are near the end. In my Bible, I will not turn the page again. There are 22 chapters, and chapter 22 in my Bible ends on the page right beside this page. That's how close we are to wrapping up this series, to wrapping up our long study in the book of Revelation. Last week we looked at the first eight verses of Revelation 21. Today we will look at the remaining verses of that chapter 9 through 27. Last week seemed to be a little bit of an introduction toward heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, uh, Jerusalem, the, the new heavenly city. And today we get kind of uh, an elaboration on that. We get a little more info. That's what today is about. Before we got here, if I had asked you, when you think of heaven, what do you think about? What comes to mind when you think of heaven? A lot of different answers, right? Some of y'all would immediately think of a loved one that was lost recently. And by knowing that they had a faith in Christ, You find great comfort knowing that they're there, that they are with God, and they're happier than they've ever been, more peaceful than they've ever been. They are better off than we are being on that side and us still being on this side. A lot of people think about that. Some people think about stuff when they think about heaven. Your mind goes to streets of gold and activities there, and what you think is the best thing here, heaven on earth to you here is what you hope it's like there. And so some people's minds go to that. There's a lot of different thoughts when I say, hey, when you think of heaven, what comes to mind? But I hope today that what comes to mind first, and you will learn this today and hopefully stick with it, is Jesus. Not just Jesus the man, not just Jesus the God, not just Jesus the God-man, But Jesus, the Savior, the one who did what he did and did all that he did and did what he did for us as a way of ransoming his people, as a way of redeeming his people. When the Bible speaks about Christ being the Savior, it often refers to him as the Lamb, the Lamb of God that was slain, the sacrificial Lamb the lamb that was given for us, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in our passage this morning, while it certainly is about the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and new earth, while it is about heaven, the city of God, it is, you can't miss that it keeps calling every bit of it the lambs. The lamb, the lamb, the lamb, the lamb. Everything that's talked about in this is the Lamb's. Not the name of Jesus, but Jesus for who he is and for what he's done. Church, if we are really going to be faithful followers of God, if we are really going to be a witness to Jesus, then we must behold him as fully our Redeemer, our Savior. 
meaning that we understand and cling to our sinfulness that separated us from God and the love of God that sent his son to get us out of our sinfulness. That must be at the very center of our faith. He's not just a leader to us while he is the best leader in our lives. He's not just an example to us while he is such a fine example for us. He is our Savior. He died on the cross because of our sins. He loves us. He died and suffered and rose again, and he lives. And our faith is centered upon Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior and King. May we get that emphasis today as we see throughout our text this morning the Lamb being the focus. Read with me from Revelation 21, starting in verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. There you see the word. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod twelve thousand stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring, it, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations." But nothing unclean will ever enter it, 
nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is a remarkable passage, isn't it? God here is describing for us heaven. So many of the things that you've often been taught about heaven come from this passage. Streets of gold, beauty, a scene that is truly uh, as as captivating as any scene. This is meant to kind of blow us away with its brilliance, with its beauty, with its majesty, with its royalty. This is meant to kind of take back our breath like I've never been anywhere like that before. You may have been to some fancy places. You may have seen some big mansions. You may have seen some gold before. But you've never seen anything like this. You may have a lot of wealth and might run with some wealthy people. But you've never seen anything like this. God is intentionally here showing us that heaven is the best thing there could possibly be. In a roundabout way, God is making it here where you and I should long to be a part of heaven. That's an important word that we need to hear in any study of heaven. Not only should you want to go to heaven, you need to make sure that you are certain that you are going to heaven. When I was in high school, I went through a training that, that taught us how to share our faith with people. I remember being like 17 years old, and my church started doing some evangelism training. And I remember going through that little class and wanting to be a witness and talk to people about Jesus, wanting God to, to use me. And there was kind of like a, a, a key question that we would ask, and it was, in your personal opinion, what do you understand it takes for a person to go to heaven? That's a good question, isn't it? Sounds a little bit rehearsed, I know. It sounds a little technical. It sounds like somebody taught you that out of a book to be able to get you into conversations with people. I know that. But it's better than nothing, isn't it? It's better than not saying anything. It's better than never bringing it up. But the heart of it is, do you know how to get to heaven? Folks, as we're studying Revelation and getting to the end of it, and the focus now is eternal life with God in heaven, we need to remind ourselves we need to make sure we're going there. We need to make sure we know that we're going there. The Bible says that we are to know, we are to have certainty, we are to be confident of that. If you're here this morning and you don't know if you're ready for heaven, would you turn to Christ today? Would you leave church today going, I'm trusting in Christ. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to Christ and his cross I cling. Lord, forgive me of my sins and take me to heaven. The Bible wants us to have assurance like that. The Bible wants us to know that God is our Father, that Jesus is our Lord. He died on the cross for our sins and all of our sins are forgiven. The Bible wants us to be fit for heaven. The, God, the Bible wants us to know that when we die, we're going to heaven. It wants you to be comforted by the promises of God and the salvation of heaven. And the, God, and, and, and the Bible wants everybody else to be comforted knowing that you are on your way to heaven.
It's one of the worst feelings. And we've all been there when somebody we love passes away. And we know that they maybe did not trust in Christ. May this passage today bring your heart to thinking, am I ready for heaven? Hey, kids, if you're here today, teenagers, if you're here today, and adults, if you are not trusting in Christ, turn to him now. Repent of your sins. Ask him to have mercy upon you, and he will. Christ died for it. May there be no question that heaven is yours and that the God of heaven loves you and sent Christ for you. May you model that by trusting in him. So our passage is this incredible scene of heaven. But the emphasis that I want us to get today is the lamb. Multiple mentions of the lamb. So by way of walking through our passage today, I want to show you five mentions of the lamb and what that has to do with heaven. Number one, especially for you kids with the listening page. Number one, the lamb and his bride. Verse 9 begins the way chapter 21 began with, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me. Now those seven last plagues, were we've already dealt with that. We've already dealt with the bowls. That angel already did that. That is gone. The judgment has already happened. We are past that. This is the same angel now bringing about heaven and God being with his people. He says, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. What a scene. Now, notice at the beginning of this chapter, it says the very similar thing. Chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Verse 2, and I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, I'm just going to be real honest. There's a huge challenge in this part of Revelation to understand the difference between the city as a place and the city as a people, okay? When you read this, it's hard to tell is the city the people or is the city the place? When you hear about walls and measurements and streets and all of that, you're like, this is clearly a place. But then so often it says, I'm going to show you the city, look at the people. I'm going to show you the place, look at the people. And so there's a real sense in which, yes, no, both, and, I'm not really sure. We do know this, though, that when God is making the new creation, making all things new, which he talked about in these first few verses, if you look back to verse 5, he says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. In this new heaven and new earth, and in this new Jerusalem, and in this new city, which is the city of God, it's a new people that have been made new by their salvation, and it's a new place. And so it may just be fine to say he's talking about both. He's talking about all of it. He's talking about all things made new. It's really hard to tell. Is he referring to the place or is he referring to the people? 
So as we walk through this today, keep that in mind. Notice that in verse 2, he says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Is it the city? Is it New Jerusalem? Or is it the bride? And the answer to that is yes. Okay, so then you turn over now to verse 9, and he says, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. That's clearly the people, right? Well, look at verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east three gates, north three gates, south three gates, and on the west three gates. Is he describing the bride, or is he describing the city? Yes. That's all I can say. But the key here is that God has made something new. We know that it's a new place. And we know that it's a new people. The term here is the bride and the lamb. Or the lamb and his bride. What a beautiful way to put it. The people of God being described as Christ's bride. Now the Bible does this a lot and you know this. You know that in Ephesians 5, we talk about this all the time, we, we mention it almost every wedding that we go to where, where a preacher is involved and he's saying, I'm saying this mystery is profound and it refers to Christ and the church and right, the, 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 the groom is, is Jesus and the, the bride is the church and, 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 and husbands are to love their wives the way Christ loved the church. We know that. We love, love that picture. But that's not just a teaching that we're to teach people who are about to get married Something bigger than that. It's foundational. It is huge. In heaven, as John sees the vision of the new heaven and new earth, the new Jerusalem, the city of God, in all of its beauty and glory, he says, there's the lamb and his bride. I, like you, struggle to maintain a high view of marriage. There's just so many bad examples of marriage in our lives. You know people right now that do not want to get married, and they'll say, I'm never getting married. Guys are terrible. Women are terrible. I'll never get married. We know people that talk like that. We know people that have been married, and now they say, I'll never get married again. We know people who say, I I, I do not like this. I don't even want to think about it. Marriage was the worst thing that ever happened to me. It is hard to maintain a good, big view, healthy marriage because there's so much negative around marriage in our lives. And I know that. May God in his power strengthen us to see through all the negatives of it, And uphold a beautiful picture of the beauty of marriage. Is there anything more powerful in this world than two people that commit themselves together till death do them part? Is there anything more beautiful than people that will forgive and forgive and forgive each other because of how sinful they are even in marriage and stick it out with love supporting each other?
Is there anything more beautiful in this world than a husband who lays down his life for the woman he committed himself to? Is there anything more beautiful in this world than a woman who lays down her life in submission to the man who loves her so? Is there anything more beautiful than that? And you know, for all the bad examples that we've seen and for the few amount of good examples that we've seen, when you see a good example, buddy, it is beautiful. It is beautiful. Homes are established. Children's grow, children, children's good grief. Children grow up in love, strength, confidence, security. When a man loves a woman and she loves him back, y'all, marriage is a powerful and beautiful thing. Let me read to you this section of Ephesians 5. I'm just going to read 25 to 27. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Listen to this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ is the groom to the church, and he loves his bride so much that he is doing the very work of laying down himself and loving her to the point that he will work mightily from the inside out of his people to make them holy and blameless and pure that he would make them fit for heaven. Hey, when we talk about marriage, we may talk about growing old together and getting calloused and making each other worse and all of that because there are, quite frankly, so many bad examples in our lives. Hey, shame on us for that being the case. But when the Bible tells us of the lamb and his bride. May your mind go back to the beauty of marriage the way God describes it. When one Jesus gives his everything to make sure you are fit for heaven. What a beautiful thing that is. There are lots of good examples of good marriages. And I will remember when Billy Graham's wife died. You remember that? Miss Ruth went, went before Billy Graham. And um, Billy Graham lived to be 99 years old. But when Ruth passed away, they had been married 63 years. That's a long time. 63 years. That's a long time. They'd been committed to each other. They loved each other. And I remember watching. Their, their, um, the, her funeral was, was on TV or you could watch it on the Internet. And I remember watching a little bit of that. And I remember that Billy Graham spoke at least a little bit at her funeral. But what I remember is him being like 90 years old, They'd been married 63 years. I don't remember exactly how old he was. They'd been married 63 years. And I remember him saying up there with tears, I just love her so much. I just love her so much. She was so beautiful. And the casket was closed. And I remember him saying this. If they could open up that casket again, all of you all could see how beautiful she was. And I remember thinking, like, he loves her so much. He loves her so much that he stuck with her. 
She loves him so much that she stuck with him. Well into old age. For 63 years, through all the struggles and the tensions and the, and, and the fights and the adversity, through all the trials, they stuck together through the end, loving each other, even thinking that she was beautiful even until the end. What a beautiful picture that is. In heaven, the people of God are described as being beautiful. You got all this stuff here, radiance, the glory of God, like a rare jewel, jasper, clear crystal. I mean, it's an incredible scene. And it's described as the bride of the Lamb. Notice that the way Jesus got his bride was by laying down his life for her. If you get to be a husband, don't listen to what all your buddies say. Don't listen to what the world says. Don't allow yourself to be informed of all the people that don't know the truth. Lay down your life for your bride. If you're going to go to heaven, may you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ laid down his life for you. And that you are fit for heaven, not because of how good you are, but because how loved you are. That you know that in the ultimate marriage of Christ and his people, Christ is making you fit for heaven. He gave his life. He's washing you clean. He's purifying you from the inside out. He is saving you. Number one is the lamb and his bride. Number two is the lamb and his 12. And this is really good that this gets brought up. Verse 12 says, a great high wall with, uh, with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, and it says there's, there's, there's four gates, and that's awesome. What we have here is the Bible teaching us about Old Testament saints. The Old Testament believers are brought into this, and then in verse 14 it says, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The 12 apostles come from the New Testament, the 12 tribes come from the Old Testament. What we have here is the Bible teaching us that heaven is filled with people from the Old Testament and people from the New Testament. The Bible is teaching us here there's only one people of God. The Bible is teaching us here there's only one people of God. You don't have Old Testament believers and however they were saved. You don't have New Testament believers and however they were saved. You have God and his people. Those who have been saved by the forgiveness of sins through God's Savior. Verse 14, though, it does talk about the foundation. Verse 14 says, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, we're familiar with the 12 apostles. Just about as soon as Jesus came onto the scene in the Gospels, and he was baptized, and he started his ministry, you can look at the beginning of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he went and found 12 that he himself went and got and called them to himself, and he said, follow me, and they did. And for the next three years of Jesus' life leading up to him dying on the cross, Jesus led those 12, invested in those 12, mentored those 12, and then sent those 12 out to go and be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. At the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, Jesus leaves, ascends to heaven, and he sends out the 12 to go and be the witnesses to the rest of the world. It's a beautiful scene. 
So the 12 then become a representation of the people of God in the New Testament. Here we see that they are connected with the foundation. They are connected with the foundation of heaven. And so what does that mean? Well, there's a lot in the Bible that teaches us that the Bible is the word of God. It's the authority. We are built upon the truth. And that extends to us by way of God, by way of Jesus and his ministry, by way of the apostles. Listen to these verses from Ephesians chapter 2. You don't necessarily have to turn there. I'm going to read to you Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Listen to this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God in making his people into a a temple, God in making his people into a place where he dwells with them, has built us off of the apostles' teaching. We see this here as they are just connected with the foundations. When John begins his first letter, 1 John, John speaks to this kind of played out practically. Listen to how 1 John begins. These are the first four verses of 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it. And proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. See we have other places in the Bible teach us that the apostles' teaching is foundational, and yet there at the beginning of 1 John, we have John speaking about it practically as foundational. He's using we the whole time. It's John writing, but he keeps writing in the plural, and he's saying, hey, we, we've seen him. We've been with him. We've touched him. We've witnessed him. We've received the message from him. We, we've gotten the truth from Jesus, and now we're giving it to you all. That you would have fellowship with the Father like we do. That you would have faith in Christ like we do. We are writing these things down for you. See, the truth of God has been given to the world by way of the prophets in the Old Testament, by way of Jesus, and by way of the apostles in the New Testament. It is foundational. It is foundational for your faith. It's foundational for your life. And it is foundational in heaven that the truth of God according to the scriptures is where truth is found. We are to be built on the truth of God. This scene in heaven speaks of a foundation. and The foundation is connected to the 12 apostles. The lamb and his 12. The 12 apostles of the lamb. Number one, the lamb and his bride. Number two, the lamb and his 12. Number three, the lamb and his 
temple. Look with me at verse 15. This is perhaps the best part of our passage today. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, it's a cube. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. If you, mine has a footnote, I don't know if you care about this. But the footnote translating 12,000 stadia says that's 1,380 miles. In Revelation, there's a lot of symbolism, which we've talked about now for weeks. And the job of the student or the preacher is to say which of this is symbolism and which isn't. Seems fair to say that this is symbolic. It's hard to picture a city that's 1,500 miles. Pretty big. Pretty big, right? Sounds like it's symbolic. Let's keep going. Its length and width and height are equal. Picture, 1,400-mile cubed city. It's a bit much, okay? It's about 15 miles from here to the Ohio River, downtown Louisville. 15 miles, something like that. It's not very far. Yet, seems pretty far. I hear people in Fairdale say all the time, man, I ain't traveling all the way into Louisville. It's kind of far, right? Now picture if it was 1,500 miles, all right? That's a big city. Sounds like this is symbolic here, but, you know, it's hard to tell. Maybe heaven's just going to be this massive place. Verse 17, he also measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. Nobody knows what an angel's measurement is. Nobody has a clue. In other words, maybe that's symbolic too. Because it says the human measurement is the same as the angel's measurement, and nobody knows what the angel's measurement is. So maybe that's trying to show us that this is symbolic too. I'm not really sure. Verse 18, the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jason, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. This is, a, this is an awesome point right here. The entire gate, each of the gates, made of a single pearl. Are there pearls that big? And if so, how much are they worth, right? You ever tried to buy one little pearl? Now picture the gate of heaven made of one single pearl. The point of this passage is to take us back with, that's the most awesome place ever. It's to be captivating. It's to be breathtaking. It's to be stunning. This is the place God is making for his people. Verse 21, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So this third point is the Lamb and its temple, to which you and I need to see here today from Revelation 21, there is no temple in heaven. The temple, as it says very clearly, is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. That's the temple. 
Well, let's think about it for a second. What, what is the temple? The temple was to be the place. All throughout the Old Testament, once it was built, right? Remember Solomon built the temple? The temple was to be the place where people could go and gather together, meet with God, and worship God. It was to be a central place where you knew God would meet you there. It was to be the place where you knew that you could get into the presence of God. But as we know from the New Testament, the Old Testament is filled with all these types, all these shadows, all these symbols, things that are to help us understand bigger truths, bigger realities. In the Old Testament, they had a temple. In the New Testament, the people became the temple. You remember that? In the New Testament, we are the temple of God. God lives inside of us by way of the Holy Spirit. In heaven, the whole thing is the temple. In heaven, God is with his people. You don't need a building that's the temple. It's not strictly you that's the temple living in the midst of a fallen, lost world where there's things around you that aren't the temple. In heaven, the whole thing is the temple. It's God and his people. It's all that we've ever desired completely fulfilled as the way it should be. The struggle for us in this life is that while we are with God, there are so many aspects of our lives that have godlessness in them, and you know that. At work, in the halls, with your friends, down the street, in relationships. There is so much of a God-centered life that has to try to figure out how to navigate in a God-lacking world. That's the struggle. That's the struggle. And yet heaven tells us it will not be that way. God and the Lamb will be the temple. Every place of heaven for as big as it was just described for as impressive as it was just described every bit of it will be God and his people the people and with God a beautiful beautiful thing the lamb and his temple now I talked about types and shadows and symbols of all of these things in the old testament that help us understand it all and the temple is one of those but the lamb is too You remember Matt read the passage from John chapter 1 where John the Baptist is there baptizing and Jesus walks up and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We remember that passage from John 1 where he's called the Lamb. And the Lamb reminds us of the Passover Lamb where the Jews in being faithful to God would take a lamb and sacrifice it for the forgiveness of sins. But don't you know how the symbolism and the shadows work? It was never the blood of bulls and goats that takes away sins, as Hebrews says. It's always been the Savior that takes away sins. But the reason why you and I can understand the Lamb is because we learned about that Passover, that sacrificial Lamb who had to die in the place of sin. The ultimate realest most full example of that is Jesus dying when Jesus died on the cross for our sins and shed his blood he was dying for the sins of the world we understand that because we saw all those examples those types those symbols those shadows in the old testament now we see the lamb and his temple the point being heaven will be completely 
fully, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy God and his people, no need of a temple. Oh, we long for that day. Every bit of life here that struggles with hardship and sin and suffering and the lack of the peace of God and the lack of the comfort of God and the lack of the security that comes from God, as we struggle and wrestle with those things, walking through our day-to-day lives, this passage is showing us in heaven it will all be gone. You will be with God. You won't have to go to the temple You won't have to go to church. You won't have to go and do this thing. You won't have to go and do that thing. You will be with God forever. There is so much comfort there. Number three, the lamb and his temple. Number four, the lamb and his light. Look at the very next verse. 23, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Now, again, this is hard to tell if it's symbolic. That whole, is it the place, is it the people here is kind of met by, is this really no light or is this just speaking symbolically about uh, the goodness of light? Light represents light and truth and purity and darkness represents that which is hidden and, and, and evil like that. I don't know. I think there's a really good argument to say it very well could be meaning that there will not be any uh, 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 physical light there. One of the things that we talk about all the time is that in creation, Genesis chapter 1 Light was created on day one, let there be light, and the sun was not created until day four. So we think that the first three days of life, there was light without a sun. Certainly can be the case, and it may be that way in heaven. There will be no need for sun there. It says no need for moon there because the glory of God will give its light. The lamb will be the lamp. But it also could mean symbolically, meaning All things representative of darkness, fear, worry, doubt, insecurity is going to be overcome. Everything is going to be bright light. There will be nothing to fear there. One of the huge issues of life is ultimate security and protection. Fear comes from the lack of those things. Whether it's you're afraid of the dark and so you want to sleep with a light on. You're afraid of the silence so you need to have some noise on. You're afraid of being alone so you have to always have somebody with you. This passage is showing us the ultimate security and safety and protection that heaven gives. Notice the gates will never have to be shut. See the gates were shut at night. Attacks often came at night in the dark, and so city gates would be closed at nighttime. But here, notice it says the gates will never be shut, verse 25. They will be open like during the daytime because it's always going to be daytime. There will be no night there. Notice also that this passage brings in the nations. Notice also that this passage brings in the nations. Verse 24, by its light will the nations walk. Verse 26, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. The Bible teaches us throughout that the lamb was crucified for the sins of the world. That the lamb is redeeming and ransoming people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. 
and it will be the light of God that brings people into truth and salvation. What a beautiful scene it will be where people from every walk of life, every tribe, language, people, and nation will be there redeemed. No sins, everything exposed, clearly out in the open, safe and secure and peaceful in heaven because of the Lamb and its light. Number one, the lamb and his bride. Number two, the lamb and his twelve. Number three, the lamb and his temple. Number four, the lamb and his light. And lastly, number five, the lamb and his book. Verse 27 says, but. The Bible keeps doing this. This is what we saw last time. We talked about heaven here, and it's been so good thinking about heaven Last week, I wanted us to focus on heaven. This week, I wanted us to focus on heaven. And we're seeing all of these observations and characteristics of heaven. But just like verse 8 started with a but, verse 27 starts with a but. Nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone. In other words, there are people who will not. There are people who will not enter heaven. Anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. We've already seen the Lamb's book of life. We've already taught about that as it's been brought up. But the key here is that because of sin, people are not fit for heaven. Hey, in our world, there are so many discussions about, will this keep you out of heaven? Will this keep you out of heaven? Will that keep you out of heaven? Listen, everybody is unfit for heaven. You are unfit for heaven. Do not read these passages. That's the exact same thing last week on verse 8. Do not read verse 8 and go, whoo, those bad people over there are not fit for heaven, but I am. Or those bad people over there are not fit for heaven, but I am. No. Every one of us are unfit for heaven. We fit into the category of 21.8. We fit into the category of 21.27. We have been unclean in our lives. You have. The prophet Isaiah said it beautifully. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among people with unclean lips. He didn't bring up the sexual morality that's going on. He didn't bring up how many murders were happening in his cities. He didn't bring up how many drugs were going on in his cities. Y'all, we can bring up all that if you want to draw some lines about who the messed up people are and who the good people are. But it's not necessary. It's arrogant. It's self-righteous. Don't do that. Let's just look right here and recognize that we, like everybody else, are unfit for heaven. We are unclean in and of ourselves. But the Bible teaches that Christ died for the sins of the world. The lamb was slain for you. And when you turn to him fully, repenting of your sins, trusting in him with all of your heart, he removes your sins. He forgives you of all unrighteousness, and he makes you fit for heaven. He purifies you from the inside out. He clothes you with his righteousness. And in that way, through God's eyes, you are seen as fully ready and fit for heaven. It is the Lamb's book. And in the Lamb's book are the names of all those who are going to heaven. But they are going to heaven based off the work of Christ. If you are not clothed in the righteousness of Christ, then this describes you. Nothing unclean will ever enter heaven, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. Y'all, that's every human being. But through Jesus, you can have it made right. Notice the emphasis here is on the Lamb. If you were to read this passage again, 
Take a year off and bring it up a year from now. May you recognize, man, this chapter 21, it's all about heaven, has a whole lot to do with the Lamb. You ever had somebody tell you before when they were giving you directions and they said, oh, you can't miss it. And you're like, that makes you nervous. Like, oh, what if I miss it? What if I miss it? They told me you can't miss it, right? It's like when somebody says, where, where's your church at? I say, you know where Fairdale is? Oh, yeah, I know where Fairdale is. Yeah, yeah, okay. Hey, you ever been to the roundabout in Fairdale? Yeah, that new roundabout. Yeah, like, yeah. You know where Shack in the back is in Dairy Queen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we're right there. You can't miss it, right? And then somebody comes and say, I couldn't find it, you know. That happens. I remember a couple years ago, I was trying to, I was trying to make my way to this, this place. And the guy was trying to tell me where it was. And I think I figured out where the place was. I said, okay, when I, when I get there, who do, I, who do I need to find? And he said, just, just go see Hoss. I know what Hoss is, right? I grew up on a dad. I grew up on a dad who watched uh, uh, what do you call it, the westerns all the time, black and white cowboy shows. Y'all know who Hoss is, right? Big old boy. And the guy said to me, "Just find Hoss." And I remember saying to him, "Like, does he have a name tag on that says Hoss?" He says, "No, no, no." Well, how, how am I going to know who Hoss is? He said, "You'll know who Hoss is." He said, "If you make it inside that building, you will know who Hoss is. Can't miss him." Church, heaven's unquestionably about Jesus. He died for us. We're his bride. There's no temple there. He'll be with us. It is built on the foundation of the teaching of the word of God. It is altogether completely true. It is all about light and no darkness, no sin there. His radiance and glory will be the light. It's all about Jesus. If you know Christ, you will not miss heaven. You can't miss it if you know Jesus. May you make sure that your heart loves the one who died for you. May you believe that he loves you. May you be certain that your sins are forgiven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for more and more of Revelation We thank you, God, for this great emphasis upon the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb. God, we pray that you would make each one of us fit for heaven. May we be a a little outpost of heaven on earth because we are focused on the Lamb. Oh, Father, if there's anybody here today that needs to be saved, may they do it. May they trust fully in you. God, work in them. God, work in us. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior. In his name we pray, amen.